Well, now we're in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, and we're looking at the life of David, that shepherd boy whom God made king. And we're looking at how that example can give us confidence in God as well. And welcome today. My name is Ricky, by the way, if you're new. I'm the lead pastor here, and so happy to have you worshiping with us. What a great morning it's been already, and uh, I'll try not to let you down from here. So uh, I'm so glad that you're here. If we can help you in any way, whether you're a first-time guest or a long-time member, please let us know. At the end of our service, we'll be at the back where it says, what is your next step? And I'll be there along with some of our guest services volunteers. And if we can help you in any way, don't, don't hesitate to stop and let us know that. And it'd just be nice to meet you. And welcome to you guys. We're just representing the Kane family. So happy. Wasn't that a great baptism and a great testimony? I love... J.J.'s testimony, and I don't know how many of us could quote the whole 23rd Psalm, but boy, he did a great job. Well, today I want to talk to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 17 about facing your giants. You know, probably the most famous story from the life of David is when he fought the Goliath, the giant Goliath. And if you grew up in church or if you went to Sunday school as a child, this would be one of those stories, or at least part of it would be one of those stories that you heard and we've loved this story because throughout the centuries, we've recognized that all of us are going to face a giant in one way or the other. Giants take on many forms. David faced a real person named Goliath, a giant of a man who was out to kill him. But we face all kinds of giants as well. Maybe for you, the giant that you're facing is that addiction that haunts you and you're struggling to overcome it. And at times it feels so much bigger than you. And you can feel weak in its shadow. And that's your giant. Maybe for you, your giant is the bitterness and the unforgiveness that you harbor in your heart from how someone mistreated you and hurt you. And they really did hurt you. But that bitterness is poisoning you and you want to let go of it. But it's like a giant. You don't know how to get past your past. Maybe for you, your giant is being true to your marriage vows rather than giving up when things are difficult or maybe giving in to a temptation. Maybe your giant is that you've raised a child to know God and yet they grew up and now they've strayed and they've basically turned on everything that you taught them and you struggle to know what to do and that's your giant. Or maybe your giant is a recent cancer diagnosis along with the surgery and the radiation and the chemotherapy and it just seems so much bigger than you or perhaps as one lady told me today that her giant is living life without her husband who she recently lost after a brief illness and she said Ricky life seems so hard and I just don't know what to do to get over my grief and to keep moving forward I don't know what your giant is, but I can tell you this. We're not going to get through this life without facing some giants, some problems that are bigger than us, some pains that are larger than us, some challenges that we feel powerless to face or to overcome. And it's in that moment that we face the giant. We need a strategy for victory. Now, sometimes when people face giants, they turn to self-reliance. In fact, I believe, and I think God whispered this to me to preach it to myself, that really the greatest giant any of us will ever face is the giant of self-reliance. It's where we try to do life on our own. We try to do life without God. We try to face the problems without God. 
Sometimes self-reliance looks like arrogance where we say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I don't need prayer. I don't need the church. I'm doing fine just as I am. I've got enough strength and smarts and ingenuity. I've got enough money. I've got good health. I've got good friends. I can handle whatever life throws at me. I don't need God. And that is a form of self-reliance. You're depending on yourself to face the giant that will come into your life. And then sometimes self-reliance takes on the form of fear. If arrogance says, I don't need God, fear in the face of a giant says, I don't see God. I don't know what to do with this problem. And rather than seeing God, all we can see is the problem. And all we can see is the pain. And all we can see is the hopelessness of our problem. And there again, we're living like we have to face this giant by ourselves rather than relying on God. One thing we discover about David is when he faced a real giant, he did not face that giant with a spirit of self-reliance, but he faced that giant with confidence in God. And I think from the life of David, we can learn three strategies for facing our giants. These will just come to us out of the scriptures. So why don't you walk with me through 1 Samuel chapter 17. We don't have time to read all the verses today. I want to get you out before lunch. Does that sound like a good deal? Wow, maybe not. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry, okay? So if you want to stay, just turn the lights off whenever you're done. But I'm going to go by lunch. But to set the stage, you need to remember that in this period of time, David has not yet become the real king of Israel. He has been anointed king by God through the prophet Samuel, but he's still a teenager. The the real king is Saul at this point. Saul, with the first king of Israel, God has rejected because Saul rejected God. And God has taken his hand of favor off of Saul and placed it on David. But David's still a young teenage boy. He has not yet ascended to the throne of Israel. And in this period in Israel's history, they are fighting often on skirmishes and wars with another uh, group of people called the Philistines. These were seafaring people who came to Israel, to the promised land, and they invaded and conquered the coastal regions of Israel. And from there, they would go into the land and they would steal crops, they would take captives, they would wage war. They would just cause all kinds of mischief among the people of God. In fact, they were very powerful people. They had perfected the making of iron weapons, whereas Israel had not yet perfected that technology. So they were a force to be reckoned with. On one occasion, there's another time where Israel and the Philistines have gathered for battle. They're at the Valley of Elah. And on one side of the valley on the hills, you've got the the Philistine army all arrayed. On the other side of the valley, in the hillside, you've got the, Israel, the, the armies of Israel all arrayed, ready for battle. Every morning, those two armies would come out in formation, and they would give out their war chant, and then nothing would happen because the Jewish people were afraid, and the Philistine army was just thinking, instead of all of us fighting, why don't we just send out one person to fight? Let's just have a representative war. You get a champion, we'll send out a champion. They will fight for each side. Whoever wins, wins. The other side becomes the slaves of the winners. And so that's where we pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 4. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. 
He was over nine feet tall. Now you see why they chose him. You see why he's the champion. I don't know, what am I, 5'10 on a good day? Can you imagine Goliath over nine feet tall? And not only was he a massive man, look at how he was arrayed for battle. Verse 5, he wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail. That would be the, the armor he would wear on his body. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin, that's a spear, uh, on his shoulder. Think about this. This guy marching out over nine feet tall into the valley of Elah under the Palestinian sun, and there he is, giant and glistening and gleaming with all of that bronze armor shining. He must have been a spectacle to behold. Verse 7 says, the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Can you imagine throwing that javelin where the very tip of it is 15 pounds? In fact, um, whenever we think about uh, people today who do that shot put. Have you ever seen these men in the shot put competition? And they've got that iron shot put and they hurl it. Uh, those weigh 16 pounds. You see the energy it takes for them to hurl that. Could you imagine that's on the tip of Goliath's spear? This guy's a massive man. It says his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. I'd love to have seen that shield that poor guy had to carry. It probably looked like a picnic table. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. He said, I don't know why you guys are here. You've already lost this battle. Look at me. I'm the champion of our people. You're just the people of Saul. Verse 9, if he kills me, that's whoever Israel chooses to represent them. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight for me. And how does the king of Israel and his men respond? Verse 11. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. What a sad state of affairs for the Jewish people. In fact, one of the reasons that the Jewish people clamored for a king in the first place, rather than letting God directly rule them through a theocracy, was because they said, we want to be like the nations around us. We want a king who will go out and fight for us. And yet having a king fight for them, they had a king that would flee from the fight. Saul, the king, was not willing to face Goliath the giant, and neither were any of his men very afraid. And this goes on for 40 days. For 40 days, the Philistines would send out Goliath. 40 days, the Israelites would send out no one. <laughs> Everybody just cowered in their tents. Eventually, um, we find out that Jesse, the father of David, sent three of his older boys out to the battlefront. They were fighting for Saul. You have Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. So they were out on the front lines. David is back tending the sheep and the goats, doing what he needed to do. 
Now in that day, the army did not provide all the provisions that their soldiers needed. You were dependent on your family to give you food, or you were dependent on foraging uh, from the surrounding territory or the cities that you conquered to supply your needs. So Jesse sends David to the front lines with food for his brothers. Take this food to your brothers, see how they're doing. Here's some cheese, give that to the commanding officer. And so David does that. He leaves home, goes out to the battlefront, finds his brothers on the front lines, and then David sees Goliath for the first time. And David hears Goliath taunting the armies of Israel and defying the one true living God. And not only did David see and hear Goliath, but he saw and heard the response of his own kinsmen and the Jewish people. He heard them afraid. He heard them whispering. That guy's huge. I'm not going. You go. I'm not going. And he saw them every day retreat back to their tents. And David is astounded. In fact, he is actually angered. And he can't understand what's going on. Look, if you will, at uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. Uh, David evidently is asking, what is going on? And the people say, have you, have, it, have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. So David's going, what's going on? Why is, why is it someone going out there and fighting for us? They say, haven't you seen him? Look at him. He's a giant. Now, the king has sweetened the pot. If anyone wants to go and fight him, the king has said, I've got a good-looking daughter. She's yours. You can have her as a wife if you'll go out and fight for me. In fact, if you go out and fight for me and you win, you and your whole family will never have to pay taxes again. I mean, the king is doing everything he can to entice people to go and fight. And David probably hears these guys making excuses. Maybe one of the guys said, you know, I would go and fight. But it wouldn't be fair to my sweetheart back home. I mean, you know, we've dated since high school. And, you know, I gave her a promise ring. And we're going to get married one day. So I, I would go. But, you know, I don't want to break her heart. Maybe another guy said, I, I would go too. I really would. But, you know, I was raised to believe it's your civic duty to pay your taxes. I, I couldn't live with myself. If I didn't have to pay taxes, I just, I believe in that, or I would go. They're making excuses for why they're not going to go. I don't know if they made those excuses, but I can imagine that they did. And so they're, they're dumbfounded and afraid. Look at verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? It's like David is saying, come again. What? And then he says this, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies? Now, if you underline in your Bible, here's something you might want to underline. The armies of the living God. David is the first person to bring God into this equation. David is the first person to bring God into the conversation. David is the per first person to not just see a giant, but to look higher and see God. 
Can I give you the first strategy you need for victory when you're facing a problem that is bigger, to you, bigger than you? When you see your giant, look higher and you'll see God. I don't care how big your giant is. I don't care how massive your problem is. Your problem is not bigger than God. And the first strategy for victory when we face giants is when we see that giant. Admit you see it. Admit it's a giant. I'm not saying put on rose-colored glasses and act like everything is great. No, it's a giant. This is huge. It's bigger than you are. But when you see a giant, don't forget, look higher and see God. And that is what is amazing David David is saying, I see the giant, but this giant has come out for 40 days in a row and he has defied the armies of the living God. Our God's alive. His gods are pagan. They're not even real gods. Why are we afraid? The one true living God is on our side. And dear friend, I don't know what you're facing, but you don't have to face it alone. And I know it may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. You've got to learn by faith to look higher and to see God in the situation, to see God where you are, to see God in this circumstance. And you may not be living by feelings in this moment. You may be living by faith. God, I can't see you with my physical eyes. I don't feel you. It's hard to go to church. It's hard to read my Bible. It's hard to pray. But I'm going to choose by faith to see you in my circumstances. You have promised in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. So even though I may not see you, I know you are here. And you are large and in charge. So David brings God into the equation. And that is what we need to do. We need to bring God into the equation. Now notice, if you will, uh, verse 31. Evidently, word gets back to King Saul that somebody out there is talking smack. Somebody is talking bravely for the first time in 40 days. So bring him here. Bring that guy here. I can only imagine the king's disappointment when this teenage boy walks in the tent. It says, then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Verse 32 Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. So David comes marching into the tent of the king who's been cowering for 40 days and says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about this Philistine. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word for don't worry or don't be afraid means don't have a heart attack. Don't let your heart stop. There's nothing to be afraid of here. And David says, the reason you don't have anything to be afraid of, I'll go fight for him. I'll go fight him. Saul's not impressed. Verse 33, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes to win. Even if you try, you're not going to win. By the way, have you ever heard that? When you're facing a problem, does your flesh sometimes... Whisper those doubts in your ear. Who do you think you are? You've tried before. You failed. You'll fail again. You're a nobody going nowhere. Did your mom or your dad tell you that? Did you have an ex that told you that? Did you have somebody at work that told you that? That you can't handle this. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes. Don't listen to them. Listen to God who is on your side. So, verse 34, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. I'm sure the king says, oh, why didn't you tell me before? Now I feel so much better. 
You're ready. I didn't know that you had that kind of military training. You, you bring a new word to seal. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're ready. Um, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. By the way, parents, we are not teaching this in preschool this morning. I just wanted you to know we're not aligning this this morning in preschool. And then verse 36, he says, I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David is not bragging on himself. He's bragging on his God. And it says, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. Saul gets all Episcopal on him. And may the Lord be with you. Because you're going to need all the help you can get. Go ahead. Go ahead. But may the Lord be with you. Because you're our last hope. You're the only chance we got to win this thing. And that's where we learn our second strategy for victory. Did you notice what David did? When, when he was told by the king, you're no match for this giant, David began to recount God's faithfulness in his life in the past. God says, no, no, you don't understand something. I can look yesterday and I can see in my past where God delivered me from a lion. God delivered me from a bear. I shouldn't be standing here today, but God delivered me. And that's the second strategy. Let God's faithfulness yesterday fuel your faith today. Listen, David could look back and say, I've seen the hand of God. I've seen the work of God. I've seen the faithfulness of God in my life. And because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I've got faith in him for this new battle. And I guarantee you, if we had time this morning and we asked you to stand and give a testimony, there are people in this room who could stand up and say, I can tell you, if it was not for God, I wouldn't be clean and sober today. Some of you would stand up, if it wasn't for God, our marriage would never have made it. Some of you would stand up and say, if it wasn't for God, I'd have never came through that car accident where everybody said I should have been killed, but God gave me a new chance. There are people in this room who could stand up and say, if it wasn't for God, we'd have never made it through that financial crisis. And all of us, if we're just honest and, and if we have eyes of discernment, can see the hand of God in our past where he's been good to us, he's been faithful to us, he's come through for us. And sometimes in the middle of the battle today, we need to think back to yesterday and let God's faithfulness yesterday fuel our faith today. Are you doing that? Sometimes we forget what God has done for us. Why do you think the Lord Jesus said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me? Because he knew that our heart has a tendency to forget. That we get so enamored with the good things or we get so distracted by the hard things that we forget. And if God would do this, what won't he do for us? So let God's Faithfulness yesterday, fuel your faith today. Now, some of you aren't going through a battle right now. You're not facing a giant right now. But can I remind you, keep trusting God and living for him today because today is preparation for tomorrow.
It's not a matter of if you're going to face a giant that you can't handle on your own. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of what kind of giant you're going to face. And if you're living for God now, drawing closer to Him now, learning more about Him through His Word now, being faithful to worship now, singing His praises in the good times, you'll be better prepared then when you're facing your giants. Sometimes we read these stories and we think that these were just moments of instantaneous courage. But if you look deeper, you realize, no, 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 no. This is just courage that was built on yesterday. David had a past with God. David had a habit of trusting God. David had a habit of turning his problems over to God. I think about Rosa Parks. Remember Rosa Parks, Montgomery, Alabama, 1955, refused to sit at the back of the bus. And people look at her and say, what a decisive moment of courage. What you don't remember is for 12 years she had served in her local NAACP chapter learning about human rights, learning about civil rights, protesting, marching, standing up that African Americans have the same God-given rights as white Americans. So when that moment came, it was not just out of the blue. It was from a heart that had been forged in right and wrong. And she was ready for the moment. And you need to be getting ready now for your moment when it's going to take some courage on your part to face a battle. And your courage doesn't come from you. Your courage comes from confidence in God. Well, if we're going to beat the Methodist to lunch, we've got to keep moving. Look, if you will, <laughs> my Methodist friends. Look, if you will, at verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He says, I can't wear your armor. It's yours. It's not mine. It doesn't fit me. And even if it fit, I've never used this. I'm not ready. Verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. If it's a contrast between a giant of a man like Goliath and little David, a teenage boy, with just a shepherd's staff in his hand and a sling and five smooth stones, it's also a contrast between a king cowering in his tent with all the best that his army could supply, but unwilling to step out in faith and face his giant. And yet here you got a little boy. All he has is what God's given him, his skills, his abilities. He's just a shepherd. He knows about a shepherd's staff. He, he knows about a slingshot. He knows how to use five smooth rocks if he needs them. But he had God on his side. And that's all he needed. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. <laughs> Probably red-headed, dark-complected, freckled face. And this is what Goliath sneers in verse 43. Am I a dog? 
he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. I love that, by the way. I wish people today would stop cursing in my God's name and just cursing their own God's name. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, Verse 44, Goliath says, Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David says, I come to you not in the name of David. I don't come to you in the name of five smooth stones a slingshot, and a shepherd's staff. No, no, no. I come to you in the name of the one true living God whom you've defied. This is not about me, David says. It's not even about Israel. It's about the one true living God that you have defied, you've blasphemed, you've mocked, and you've attacked his chosen people. God takes this personally. And that leads us to the third and final strategy. When you face a giant, look higher. And see God. Let God's faithfulness to you yesterday fuel your faith today. And number three, give your battles to God. David says, this isn't my battle. This is the Lord's battle. And when victory comes, everyone will know there is a God in Israel who acts on behalf of his people. And everyone will know that it was the one true living God who did it. And the people of Israel will know If we want victory, it's not going to come through swords or spears. It's going to come through our faith in the one true living God. He says, so I just give this battle to God. God is yours. A wife came to me last week, and and then her husband came to me, and um, (laughs) she'd given him some advice. He's really dealing with some, I don't don't want to make light of it, but he's really dealing with some pretty major problems in his life. And so she told him, you need to go see Ricky. Ricky. And so he comes to see me, and he's quite angry at his wife. And I said, why are you so angry at her? She's on your side, man. He said, you know what she told me? She said, I just need to give it to God. What does that even mean? (laughs) And so he just kind of took that personally, you know. What do you mean, give it to God? That's so easy. That's like church talk. That's what what Christians say when, when they want to sound spiritual. Give it to God. What does that even mean? And so we talked a little bit about what does that mean when we say that, give it to God? And I told him about this story that we're talking about today. And I said, I think what it means for me to give my battle to God, to just turn that problem over to God, it means that I do what only I can do in this situation while I'm trusting God to do what only he can do. David did what only he could do. David had to pick up that, that staff. He had to get those five smooth stones. He had to get that slingshot. And he had to walk out on that battlefield. And rather than running he, uh, away, he had to run toward the problem. And he had to stand there and fight. He had to do what only he could do. But while he was doing what only he could do, he was trusting God to do what only he could do. And that was to give a shepherd boy victory over a nine foot tall plus giant. 
And dear friend, I don't know what it is that you're facing, but I know this about it. Whatever that problem is, there are some things you can and should do. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. You do what only you can do. Maybe you need to call that marriage counselor once and for all and get serious about sitting down for some counseling. Maybe you need to get into grief share. Maybe you need to come to celebrate recovery and say, I'm about ready now to do what I need to do to get clean and sober. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to stop treating church like it's a hobby, and I'm going to start putting God first in my life, and I'm not going to forsake gathering together with God's people. I need God more, not less. So I'm going to start going to church more, not less. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I'm going to take the chemo treatments. I'm going to take the radiation. I'm going to have the surgery. But I'm going to trust God to do what only He can do. I'm going to do my part, but the victory's got to come from him. The strength's going to have to come from him. The victory's going to have to come from him. I'm going to do my part. I'm not giving up. I'm going to fight the fight, but I'm going to trust God to give the victory. And when it's all said and done, people will be able to look at my life and know there is a God in heaven, and he is in my life. Here's the bottom line today. Faith is acting on the belief that God is bigger than your problems. Notice what happens. Notice what happens and we're we're done. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. I'm sure they did. Rightly so. If that little boy can do that, God truly is with those people and we are doomed. Faith is acting, not just feeling. Faith is acting on the belief that God is bigger than my battles. I'm going to do what I can do, trusting him to do what only he can do. Maybe your homework is to go home today. If you're facing a giant, to get a sheet of paper, put a column down the middle. On the left side of that column, just name your giant, describe it. What is it that freaks you out? What is it that scares you? What is it that intimidates you? What is it that worries you about this? Write it out. And then on the other side of that ledger, remember when you see a giant, look higher, see God. Start writing all the ways that you know God is real. Write down how God's been faithful to you in the past. Start going back, a little stroll down memory lane. of How God, I remember when you were there for me during this period of my life. And I remember when you came through for me here. I remember when you showed up in a way that only you could do there. And you just start writing those examples of God's faithfulness down. And then you just slide that piece of paper over across the table to God who's sitting over there. You can't see him. He's there. (laughs) And say, God, I give the battle to you. I'm going to do what only I can do. But I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do in giving me the victory. The timing is in your hands. The way you bring victory is in your hands. That's why I think David took five smooth stones 
He didn't know how long that battle was going to last. He was just ready, no matter what. I'm just going to trust God and stand here until God brings the victory. And maybe you need to say, I turn the timing of victory over to you, the way of victory over to you. I'm going to do what I can, and I'm going to trust you to do what only you can. And I will know, and others will know, that there is a God in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we want to thank you for this reminder today from the life of David. Sometimes the greatest giant we face is the giant of self-reliance. We're out of arrogance. We think we don't need God. We're out of fear. We don't see God. But God, today you've reminded us that really the victory comes when we see the giant, we look higher and we see God. We let your faithfulness yesterday to us fuel our faith today. And we give our battles to you. We do what we are called to do. We don't shirk our responsibility but we also do what we can do, trusting you to do what only you can do. And that is to give the victory. May it be for your honor, for your glory. And God, I pray that today we'll be reminded that victory is possible only because Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. That he came out of that grave alive, conquered death, hell in the grave. And he is on our side. He is the one true living God. May our faith in him be renewed today. Father, if there's anyone in this room today who's never received Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would turn from their sin, confessing to you that they are a sinner, placing their faith in Jesus who died for them and who rose from the dead, putting their trust in him for the forgiveness of the sin and for the gift of eternal life. It was Jesus who said that the devil comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So God, we thank you that you are bigger than any battle we face. You are greater than any giant we will ever encounter. And we put our faith and our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.